You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. This morning, it sounds like uh, some of you maybe kind of uh, hit a bunch of different kinds of weather coming in. I think somebody said they had snow, rain, and sleet uh, coming in this morning. So, man, it just sounds like there's kind of a mixed bag uh, out there. Again, you know, f- um, for me, and, and I'm sure for, you know, some of you, if, if you're honest, you know, part of that unraveling, you know, we kind of talked about this unraveling that God was kind of doing in my life. Um, part of that unraveling really kind of involved uh, and really kind of um, spoke to the issues of pride versus humility. As a matter of fact, that process of unraveling, again, that's where God kind of begins to unwind us. He kind of begins to untangle us. He kind of begins that process of kind of separating, you know, um, the wheat from the chaff. And and God begins to take kind of the, the, the weeds, those things that prevent his love from flowing in us as freely as he would like, those things that obstruct his love. And God just kind of begins to cut that away. And again, part of that that pruning, that process will always involve the issues of pride and humility. Somebody once said something to me that I never forgot. They said, pride is the last thing that will leave the human heart, and it is the first thing that will always return. Because one of those things that will prevent the process of what God is trying to do for us, pride will prevent the process of what God is trying to do in us. Humility will allow ourselves to just kind of be, again, submitted and surrendered and allowing God to do in us that process of maturing us as followers of Christ. It was interesting, one of the passages that I had really been kind of focused on and I had been meditating upon before all of these events of the last few months kind of unfolded. It was, it was a scripture, uh, just nine verses, and, and I had really kind of just been going through that line by line, word by word, just, you know, asking, you know, for greater revelation on particular areas of that. And, and it was from Philippians chapter 2, um, beginning in verse 3. And Paul's writing there, and he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for just the interest of your own, but also the interest of others. And then he says, have this attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then he goes into some just just incredible theology here. He says, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. 
being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Yeah, there is so much in these few verses of Scripture we don't even have the capacity to understand. There have been volumes and volumes and volumes of books written just on these nine verses from many different authors coming at this from every religious Uh, point of view possible and and still it all comes up woefully short of really explaining the very deep profound mysteries Paul speaks of there interestingly you kind of see even there in Philippians chapter 2 it it kind of alludes to that look again at verse 6 And Paul says, although he, and he's referring to Christ there, existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be understood, to be comprehended. Again, the profound, the deep mysteries and the beautiful truth of Jesus concerning the idea that he was fully man and at the same time fully God. He says it's not something We will ever fully grasp or understand. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't press into those truths. But again, it's just saying no matter how far you go into those truths, there's always going to be more to discover. It's one of those truths that, again, we are going to spend eternity getting more and more revelation concerning, and each revelation is going to be greater and more glorious than the one before. No matter how much you learn or understand or has been revealed to you about that hypostatic union, and that's just a really fancy theological word to say that Jesus was fully man, he's fully God, that hypostatic union No matter how much we learn or understand concerning that truth of his divine nature, of his being fully man, together as one, there will always be more to learn, to apprehend, to desire, to go after, to understand. Those of you that know me well know that uh, I have a horrible sense of direction. Okay, I can get lost quickly and easily. Now, the only thing um, that's probably greater in terms of my deficiencies uh, than uh, directions is math. Math has always been one of those subjects that I struggle in greatly. Not too long ago, one of our kids brought home some papers uh, that they had been doing at school. They were math papers, and I remember kind of just looking through them, and I was just so impressed. You know, I I think it was our 10-year-old, I'm looking at this stuff, and I was just so impressed at what she knew at 10 years old. 
I'm 57, and I can tell you there's things she's doing in math I don't understand. When she comes home and needs help doing homework in math, she's got to go to mom. Because I, I don't have any concept or understanding of math. As a matter of fact, this particular paper I was looking at is dealing with the concept greater than, less than. Any of you remember that? You know, they, you would see that problem. You know, 17, is it greater than or less than 49? And you had to just circle the one arrow. Is it greater or lesser? Now, I remember that in elementary school, and I'm just telling you for the life of me, I could never get this. I could not get that concept down. Thankfully, it was one of those concepts. I mean, you had a 50-50 chance of getting it right, right? That was my only saving grace. Still to this day, I remember that math teacher, Mrs. Copenhagen. Oh, she was scary. She was kind of this really large woman. She had no sense of humor, no personality. I kind of envisioned her as maybe having a part-time job as a prison guard. She was a scary woman. And I remember in, in math class, she would stand over my shoulder with a ruler in her hand. And she would, in front of the whole class, she would just kind of stand there and she would go through these these concepts, he's greater than, less than concepts with me in front of the whole group. And, and she would just, you know, start to say, you know, nine is greater than, less than, 42. And I would answer, and if I got it wrong, she would smack her hand with the ruler, and she would say, no! And I, and I knew it was the other one. And <laughs> it's a self-correcting concept, I like that. But she would just go on to the next one, and she would just stand there and just do this, and it, it just freaked me out. And, and I remember it really wasn't until junior high school. I remember all of a sudden the whole concept, I mean, it's just like something popped in my brain, and I understood the whole concept, and I could ace every test now on greater than, less than. I thought I was Einstein. The point is, as complex as that mathematical concept was for me to understand, it really pales, woefully pales in comparison to the deep mysteries of God. None of us in this life or in eternity will ever fully comprehend or understand the complex, deep mysteries of Jesus being fully man and fully God, and that's just one of many things that we're going to spend eternity growing in. And the good news is God doesn't expect us to fully get it. God is not standing over our shoulder with a ruler demanding we understand or get this. God is patient, and God is just constantly coming back and willing to give more and more revelation as we just open our hearts to receive more and more. He just wants us to be open, to be desirous, to say, God, there is so much more of you. I want more and more revelation. And one of the keys, I believe, to receiving more and more revelation is the virtue of humility. 
The other verse in this passage that really grabbed my attention was verse 7. Look at this. He says, but he, again referring to Christ, emptied himself. And taking on the form of a bond servant. Now, again, a bond servant, that's something we can kind of understand. We can kind of wrap our mind around that concept. That's something that we can relate to. So taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. Again, that's something we can understand. We have a little bit of experience in being human. And so we, we again, we can kind of get our minds wrapped around that. Now, some other translations say that Christ became nothing. And that was just one of those words that really jumped out and kind of struck me. Nothing. Christ became nothing. Try wrapping your mind around that. We can't even fathom the gap in that. To go from being an active, fully present, fully participating member of the Godhead, eternally present, co-working, co-equal with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, to becoming nothing of no reputation, no standing, is a gap we cannot comprehend. To go from being the one who created everything. Do you realize everything that is he created? John says there's nothing created that he did not create. To go from being the one who created to taking on the form of a bond servant. We can't even bridge that gap. And the thing that is even more amazing to me is that Jesus willingly chose to do this. He willingly, joyfully, eagerly chose to come to empty himself, to become nothing, to be made in the likeness of a bondservant, in the likeness of men, to become obedient, even if that obedience would cost him in death upon the cross, which it did, to rescue us from the penalty of sins. He chose willingly, joyfully, eagerly, to do that. Do you realize that speaks to the value that God sees in you that he would be willing to do that and more? Everything Jesus did in coming to earth as a human being, doing everything he did here as the son of man, teaching, preaching, healing, raising the dead, calming the seas, feeding the 5,000, just to name a few. Everything he was, everything he did was from his place and position of humility before his heavenly Father. So as I have been just over the last several months really kind of looking at and just contemplating that phrase, Christ became nothing, and that he calls you and I to do and to be the same, I began to ask God, what does this mean? I mean, I mean, what does this look like? 
What does this look like to begin to walk out in, in our relationship with you, in our relationships with one another? If, if Jesus did this, then as followers of Christ, we are called to do this as well. So God, help us. Part of the reason why this attribute of humility is so important is because of what it brought forth in Jesus' earthly life and in his ministry. Again, look at verse 9. I love this. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Now, for this reason. For what reason? I mean, Paul says, for this reason. For what reason? If you were to just start reading at verse 9, you would really kind of miss the point Paul's trying to make here. For this reason, it means you got to go back at what precedes this phrase in really to order to understand what is being referred to here. And Paul's saying the reason God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name is found in the verses leading up to this. Because Jesus emptied himself. Became nothing. Became a servant. Becoming obedient. Those were the reasons he was exalted. And again, it's out of that place, it's out of that position of humility that he was able to be exalted. This is exactly the process Jesus talks about in Luke 14, 11. Look there. He says, everyone who exalts himself, you're going to be humbled. And those who humble themselves, guess what? You're going to be exalted. And that's exactly what Jesus did there. The reason Jesus was able to be exalted in the ways that Jesus was exalted was because he chose to become humble. And the same is true for us. You and I, we will never ever be exalted or elevated to any place or position in God's kingdom without some degree of humility. God will never promote you God's never going to graduate you to any place of significance in the church, in the kingdom, without first positioning yourself in humility. Now, if that's true, and I, I believe it is, then that begs the question, what is humility? What's it look like? How does it show itself? How should it operate in my life? First of all, biblical humility, it's really grounded in the character of God. It's a part of who God is. And without humility, the Bible says, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. And we will never achieve any greatness or any significance without it. The word humility, it simply means in the Greek of low degree, to be brought low. Of low estate, to be lowly minded, to be humble. Again, that, that means to be free or in that process of being freed from arrogance and pride. Humility is knowing that in your flesh you are 
and you will always be inadequate. While at the same time, you also know who you are in Christ. And you're continuing to grow more and more in that revelation. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. So again, humility is knowing that in your flesh you always will be, you are completely inadequate, while at the same time you also know who you are in Christ. Humility, it's being comfortable with who you are, where God has you at present, where you're at in your walk with him, and you're pursuing, and you're desiring, and you're pressing, and you're asking God for more and more, and you're just confident in what God is doing, who God's calling you to be. There's just a confidence in that, that this is not me, this is Christ in me. Humility, it comes by by fully and continually just submitting and resubmitting ourselves to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 24, he said, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. Humility, again, what what I believe about humility, it's not a one-time process. It's not something that God just does once and and we're completely fixed. We're completely filled with humility. It is a day-by-day, it is a moment-by-moment decision. It's a state that we choose to abide in. It's a state we choose to invite God into. It is a process we are asking God to do in us. And we always have to just be continually surrendering and re-surrendering ourselves. Because certain circumstances and situations are always going to tempt us and they're always going to goad us to forsake humility and just to begin to operate, to, to live out of our flesh, our old nature. And again, this was part of the temptation Jesus faced there in the wilderness following his baptism in the desert there. Another interesting aspect to humility is it doesn't make us perfect. It's not going to make you perfect. We're still going to make mistakes. I I can be humble. I I can be walking in complete humility and still make mistakes. But humility will enable us To not only hear criticism, but to grow from it. Humility says, I'm not perfect, I'm still going to make mistakes, but in that place of humility, I can listen, I can hear, I can receive criticism, and I can grow from it. One of the benefits of humility. I know during my time away, I received many letters Cards, emails, phone calls, and the vast majority of them were, were positive, they were encouraging, they were supportive, they were uplifting. But some of the letters I got were pretty critical. Now, I'll be honest with you, when I first read them, my initial reaction, probably not different from yours, was, you know, just to throw it in the trash, you know, to ignore it. You know, somehow defend yourself or to justify, you know, how what they're saying is all wrong. 
So I just remember, as I'm kind of just seeking to understand how to process all of this, I just kind of remembered the Holy Spirit just really impressing upon me that I just needed to get myself to a place where I could just allow all of my defenses to come down as much as possible. And then to reread the letters and invite the Holy Spirit into that process and to use that to highlight the things that were in that letter that were true. To allow the Holy Spirit to highlight those areas where even though they were critical, they were speaking a truth I needed to hear. There were areas I needed to work on that they were identifying in the letters, although critical, were true. And so I just one day just kind of got those letters and I sat down with the highlighter and I just said, okay, I'm just going to allow my defenses to come down as much as possible. Holy Spirit, I'm going to read slowly through these letters and I just want you just to begin to just highlight the things that are true, the things I need to hear, the things I need to work on. And so I did. I just went through the letters and I just began to highlight everything that God highlighted to me as truth or something that I needed to hear. And I let the rest of it go. That's what humility will do. It will allow you to realize, number one, I'm not perfect. I have areas in my life that need to be improved upon. I am a work in progress. But also acknowledging that God could use these people to speak truth into my life to enable me to see areas I needed to grow in and to work on. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, A wise man is he who listens to counsel, even if that counsel comes from a critic, even if that counsel comes from someone that you may perceive as an enemy. A wise man is someone who can listen to counsel. As a matter of fact, I'll be honest with you, oftentimes a critic will be more truthful than a family member or a friend because a family member or a friend may not need, will not say what maybe needs to be said because of fear of offending you. Humility, again, allows you, it puts you in a place where you're able to hear criticism as a means to learn, to grow, to mature as a follower of Christ. Another aspect to humility is that it does not expect it does not demand, it does not feel entitled to be treated better than Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 25, he said, if they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? And you remember that, that Jesus was often criticized by the religious leaders. Oh, he is a, he's a sinner. He's a wine bibbler. And Jesus is just simply saying here, if they're going to criticize me, the head of the house, they're going to criticize the members of the household as well. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in John 15, he says, if the world hates me, they're going to hate you too. See, for a lot of us, that's a bitter pill to swallow. Because all of us, we want to be liked. We want to be respected. We want to be treated with kindness. 
But the truth is, if we are diligently seeking to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and you stand for biblical truth in this culture, there will be times where you may be hated, ridiculed, rejected, persecuted, and in some very extreme cases, God forbid, you may even be killed. All of the disciples of Jesus, with the exception of John, all suffered terrible persecution and death because of their witness and testimony of the resurrected Christ. The disciple John, remember, he was banished to the island of Patmos and and sentenced to hard labor. We know Stephen there in Acts 7, I mean, he is stoned because of his testimony concerning the faithfulness among the nation of Israel or parts of it. And you just read through the Bible, it's filled with stories of people who were persecuted and or killed because of their faith in God, their faith in Jesus Christ. Humanity, history is filled with people who have been persecuted or killed because of their faith, their testimony, their witness of Jesus Christ. There are Christians in many countries today who are imprisoned or suffering simply because they chose to believe in Jesus Christ. Yet somehow, many American Christians today seem to think that if we face any kind of persecution, even if it's just mild persecution, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we think somehow God has abandoned us. Humility, again, it enables us, it empowers us, it allows us, it brings us to a place to understand and to accept and to be okay with that we are going to be treated the same way Jesus was treated, the same way other followers of Jesus have been treated throughout history. A final aspect of humility is that it allows us to leave defending ourselves, it, it leaves vengeance, it, it, it leaves retribution, it leaves everything completely to God and to God alone. Isaiah 53 pictures the coming Messiah in this way. He says, he was one who was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth in defense like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. And again, he's speaking there and uh, referring to the coming Messiah. And you see that there were times where Jesus never defended himself against wrongful accusations. Many times he just left that to his heavenly father to deal with. Listen to these words from 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Oh, but pastor, that's so hard. I know. Oh, but you don't understand, I do. This requires humility. And it comes with the territory of being a Christ follower. 
The other cool thing about this is, is when we don't repay evil with evil or insult for insult, we position ourselves to inherit, to receive a blessing. Next week, we're going to look at a story Jesus told in Luke 18. If you want to read up on that in this coming week, that'd be great. A story about two men who prayed. It says one man prayed from a place of pride, of arrogance, while the other man prayed from a, a place of humility, and the results could not be more different. So let me just close with this story. Many years ago, a, a man conned his way uh, into the orchestra of the emperor of China. And although he could not play a single note, Whenever the group practiced or performed, the man would kind of take his flute and he would hold it up to his mouth and he would move his fingers pretending to play but never making a sound. For years, this man received a good salary. He enjoyed a comfortable living. Then one day, the emperor requested a solo from each member of the orchestra. Well, naturally, the flutist gets very nervous. There wasn't enough time to learn the instrument to the degree he needed to learn it, so he pretended to be sick, and the royal physician wasn't fooled. So on the day of his solo performance, the imposter took poison and ended his life. And the explanation of his death led to a phrase that has found its way into the English language, he refused to face the music. When it comes to humility in our lives, at some point in our walk with God, you gotta face the music. We can't just fake our way through this, folks. Is my life, is your life characterized with humility? Are you seeking to grow? Am I seeking to grow in humility? Do I see myself as better than others? Do I find myself looking down my nose at others? Do I expect to be treated differently than Christ or other committed followers of Jesus Christ were treated? Do I trade insult for insult? Do I trade injury for injury? 1 Peter 5.5, 5, and I close with this, God opposes the proud. But what does he give to the humble? Grace. So if that's you this morning, if you're really seeking to just again, to allow God to work more and more of that humility in you, guess what he's going to give you to do that? Grace. God's grace is available here for me, for you this morning. If we would just choose to say, God, I, maybe you don't know where you're at in this pursuit of humility. I, and I, I'm certainly good with that because uh, you know, this has been a process for me over the last couple of months. Where am I at in this? But again, is there a willingness to allow God to work in you? That humility, that, that, that God can bring you to a place that in that humility, that God might be able to begin to exalt you. That God might begin to bring to pass his plans and his purposes for your life. Because I'm going to guarantee you, no matter what those plans and purposes God has for you, humility is the pathway. It's the pathway to go 
and to be exalted, to be given and to be taken into that place, that position that God has for you in his kingdom, both here and in the kingdom to come. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, we just again thank you for the grace that you give. The grace, God, not to do it perfectly, God, but the grace to do it faithfully. So God, this morning, God, we just want to open our hearts. We want to just open our spirits to you. And God, just ask that your grace would be poured out in such a way, God, that again, it would just cause us, it would just give us that desire, God, to again position ourselves, to submit ourselves to you and to one another in humility. And God, you see our hearts and you know where each one of us is at in in that place of humility. And God, it doesn't matter that we're all maybe in different places to different degrees of humility in our, in our hearts and our lives. The beautiful thing is, God, you can meet each and every one of us where we are, although that may be different places, and it is different places. But God, you're faithful, and you're wanting, and you're desirous is to bring us to a greater place of humility with you and with one another. And so, God, I just ask, Lord, that you would give us the grace, the courage, the strength to just submit ourselves to you and ask, God, that you would continue that work of humility, that you would continue to deepen that characteristic in our hearts and in our lives. So, Father, we just yield to you this morning. And we invite you to come and to do that work in us, just as you did with Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.